episode 43 of Glass of Joe. We are approaching April, which means Final Four is around the corner. The Masters is a couple weeks away, but we got opening day. Baseball is back. It's crazy. We got Scott Garceau, Orioles play-by-play announcer, who is so nice that he's calling opening day tomorrow, but he was kind enough to join us for an interview the night before to talk some baseball with us. But Joe, everybody watching on YouTube might know <laughs> you're in a new location. And what's Again, great man. is that you're back in Florida. Now, the way your camera was, there's a painting behind you with a little black circle. And yeah, you had me self-conscious of it. It looked like you had one of the Mickey Mouse ears over <laughs> your head, but I, I made you conscious. And you had me self-conscious and I moved, so, so I got that out of the way. But it's a good thing that uh, nobody listening on spotify itunes or soundcloud can see that and make fun of me for it so it's all well, right. i hope now they all tune in <laughs> so they can see it because it was very very funny but uh we got scott garceau coming up talking o's mlb get you all ready for opening day one of the best days of the year that interview coming up now pleased to be joined this week for the second time by orioles play-by-play broadcaster scott garceau scott great to have you back thanks for joining us again it's great to have baseball back how excited are you for the full season to hopefully happen this time the (laughs) full 162 i'm ready uh games that count fans in the stadium um you know, we're, we're not out of this thing yet. It would be great to say that there's going to be uh, 45,000 there for opening day uh, and guys didn't have to wear masks and all the other things that they're going through. But we're a lot we're in a lot better shape than we were a year ago. I was just going to say that was the toughest thing to me. No fans. It just it didn't feel right. Think, yeah. of the, think of the last time we spoke on this podcast. It was in the summer. We were we didn't know what to expect. You were talking about getting tested going into the ballpark and uh, no fans at all, 60 games. So we're not there yet, but we've come a long way in, in this time. Yeah, I've got my COVID test at 10 tomorrow morning. Uh, I flew to Florida last week to do two uh, spring games and a couple of COVID tests down there. So that stuff is still in place and, and for a good reason. But I think we're a lot closer to coming out of this. And the hope is that if things are moving along in a good direction come June or July, then we can get a lot closer to being open for business big time. And uh, everybody who wants to be at the ballpark can be there. Definitely. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday. So tomorrow is opening day. Just thinking back, you've attended so many Orioles games. Do you have a favorite opening day memory? Well, the, the one kind of that Kodak moment, the picture is Jay Gibbons back in the day when we got hit with a snow squall right in the middle of the game. Oh, wow. And there was a fly ball hit to right field and Jay Gibbons, he just threw his hands up in the air. He couldn't find it in the snow. And uh, the umpire suspended the game at that point, came back. And I think the Orioles won and it was 13, 14 innings. Uh, Gary Matthews, maybe a, a, a walk-off winner. So that's one that sticks out on the way back machine before you young guys were, were around. Um, 1989 was pretty special. That was that why not season. The the 88 Orioles started 0 21. I think they lost 107 or 108. It was the most losses in Oriole history. And then they come back on opening day, 89 and, you know, fans weren't expecting much. And I think Cal hit a two or three run Homer off Roger Clemens uh, I remember St- Steve Finley making this great catch crashing into the wall in right field and the Orioles beat the Red Sox and Clemens that day and led, led the division for most of that season. 
Finally, uh, uh, it, it came down to the final weekend in Toronto. <clears throat> Orioles needed to win. I think it was two out of three, and they couldn't quite get it done. But it, it might have been the most fascinating summer uh, of Oriole baseball since I've been in town in 1980 because nothing was expected. They had a young team that hustled all over, and that day was special. And then recently, we had um, – up until two years ago, three straight walk-off wins. Remember yeah. Adam Jones had the walk-off, Trumbo had a walk-off. I think Matt Wieters had a base hit. They went three straight years uh, where they won walk-off games, two of them with home runs. So yeah, we've, we've had good memories. And even some of the bad Oriole teams, I always seem to throw in a good opener. So I, I, at one point they had something like nine or 10 straight opening day wins. Is opening day, is that your favorite day of the sports year, would you say? I, I think it's it's just, you know, you got this girlfriend and you got her for six months, right? And you've missed her and and there she is opening day. Uh, that's that's kind of the way I look at it. And, yeah. and when I was on the TV side, at least it would be hectic. You'd be doing 18 live shots and 13 hits here. And it would kind of be like, man, let's get to let's get to the next game where there'll be, you know, 9,000 in the fan stands. It'll be a freezing cold night. But We'll just have to watch a baseball game that night. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it, especially where we've been, you know, as as a nation going through the pandemic. Uh, Definitely, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about tomorrow. Now, as this, as for the season itself, do you know yet if you'll be traveling to road games or if it's still going to be a remote situation for you? Yeah, the the initial plan is remote, like we were last year. So uh, Orioles open up at Fenway. We'll be calling the game. I'm with Jim Palmer for the opener from Camden Yards. Uh, I think there's going to be a reassessment sometime around June or July. We'll see where we are then. And it, it's it's kind of up to local teams, but I think the teams kind of all look at each other too and say, you know, if, if you're going to go, maybe we'll go, but uh, we'll have to see where we are. And, and I don't think anybody knows at this point, but we all we all kind of feel like it's going in a good direction. And, and having fans back is that's top of the list. Even even those couple of spring games I did down at Ed Smith Stadium in Sarasota, just to hear some fans and vendors and things okay. like that, people making noise like, yeah, I was here at the there's so much you take for granted. Brandon Hyde was saying, he said it was it was horrible. He said, I could hear the lights humming some nights. You know, you could oh, wow. hear you could hear all the conversation in the opposing dugout, uh, things you'd never hear, you know, when fans are in the ballpark. I don't think uh hearing a vendor yell for a five dollar bottle of pepsi is something you thought you'd ever miss <laughs> but i guess you all we missed it um yeah you know, just this ambient sound that some of it we take for granted we're at when we're at the ballpark and and, and we missed it yeah. yeah now you know we stick general sports talk here as far as the baseball season but pj and i play by play nerds so curious real quick you mentioned you were remote all of last season and and will be for the road games now how did that work out for you guys uh bet, better than i thought it would um uh the people at Masson did a great job. Uh, we basically would sit where we would sit to call an Oriole game where you're looking at the field and we would just spin our chairs around. And then they had a table, you know, we scorebook and notes and all the things you have with you. And, and they had a big monitor in front of us. Basically, that was what you'd see at home if you were watching the game. And then we had another monitor about that size that was cubed into five or six different spots. So we had both bullpens. You can see who was warming up. We had a fixed shot on the scoreboard at all times. We'd have a high home shot that would kind of give you an overlook at the field. And I would occasionally use that one. So, for instance, uh, Santander doubles into the right field corner. Uh, 
the main camera that you're seeing at home is showing the right fielder kind of trying to dig it out of the corner as it's bouncing off the garage door and all those things that you get when you get a ball into the corner. Well, I could look at that high home camera and see the runner, you know, approaching third with no brakes on and know that we might have a, a play at the plate. So there are little things like that that would help you that high home camera when the other cameras may be in on a tight shot or a time in the game where maybe the, the tight shot is, you know, Brandon Hyde in the Oriole dugout. Well, when I look at the high home, I see that the other team sent up a pinch hitter. So you kind of kind of play off of those two. But I, I, I would call, I would say, 95% of the game on that big monitor, the same one that you'd be seeing if you're watching the game at home. All right, that satisfied the play-by-play nerd and me. Now back to what the <laughs> listeners want to actually hear about the O's themselves this season. Uh, they had a lot of young players that showed some great flashes last year in that shortened season. Uh, which players are you now most excited to see in a full 162 this season, building off of what they did last year. Yeah, that that's um, I can I can think of four or five that kind of jump out at me. Now, Ryan Mountcastle, I think we're all we saw last year and it looked pretty good. Let, let's see that over a full season. Does he get even better? Uh, a lot of people are really high on him. Austin Hayes had a game. The game we did down in Florida, he threw out two guys at the plate on just terrific throws the second one he caught the ball in medium right field and unleashed a throw in the air not one hop in the air to home plate that was like wow who was that was that Ichiro you know there there aren't many guys uh we we saw that that play from Mookie Betts was that last year the year before that was just had everybody last year yeah it it was that kind of play and then in, in the same game he double tripled and homered so I'd like to see Austin Hayes be able to stay healthy, play 140 games, be able to see what he does. And then, the, you know, the story of the year is Trey Mancini, right? The, the, the guy that was, um, it just rocked the team and everybody, everybody connected Orioles baseball. I was there last year when he got the diagnosis and left the team and down in Florida. And you could see that team was shaken. And, and we didn't know the particulars at that point, but we could guess. We knew it was something pretty serious and then to be a, a year later and to see him battle through what he did be back and everybody we talked to from Don Long the hitting coach to Brandon Hyde to other players said he just looks like Trey Mancini it's like nothing's changed physically he's strong he hit the ball well I think he hit 330 or 340 in spring training so that's a story I think he was on the Today Show yesterday or today it's a national story mm-hmm. it's a local story but to see Trey back uh, on the pitching side, want to see more of Dean Kramer. You know, he looked pretty good last year. Keegan Aiken had a rough spring, so he's going to start at AAA. We kind of thought we'd see him again this year, but that's young pitching, right? The ups and downs. So uh, th- those are a couple guys on my radar. And, and Santander, when he got hurt last year, he was among the league leaders in about five different categories. So if he can stay healthy, that's a pretty – think about the middle of that lineup. I don't know if it's Mullins or Hayes or who Brandon decides to lead off on, but he said he wants it to be more of a high on base percentage guy. But then you line up Mancini, Montcastle, and Santander in some kind of order, two, three, four. That's that's some legitimate bat right there. And then they, they add Franco who hit, you know, 20 to 25 homers, three or four different years with the Phillies. So I think they can score runs. The, the question will be how much can they get out of their pitching? TJ and Joe I were and talking, I, yeah, yeah right, right before we were waiting for you to hop into Zoom, this team might score five plus runs a game. The question is the pitching, but they brought in some veterans, one of them 
Matt Harvey, in addition to the bats that are veterans, Freddie Galvis, Mike Calfranco, that crop of veterans, but specifically Harvey, because pitching is the question, what do you expect from them this season? Yeah, I mean, Har- Harvey's passed the eye test in spring training. Now, you know, granted, we got to see it. If he did nothing else, if he pitched 120 to 140 to 150 innings for the Orioles, that would be a big help this year. Now, you hope some of those nights would be, you know, pretty good and some would be average and not many would be oh, that that night just got away from them. But uh, you got to protect this young pitching staff going from 60 to 162. They just can't run Dean Kramer out there and expect him to pitch 180 to 210 innings this year because he might not be the same guy starting next year. So I think that's going to be a juggling act all year. If you're in AAA or AA, there's a good chance at some point you'll be throwing in Camden Yards this year. And I think there'll be, I heard the Tampa Bay Rays said they expect to use 30 to 35 pitchers this year. And they're established. They got a a lot of established arms and a, a good system. So if they're using 30 to 35, are the Orioles maybe going to use 40? I don't know where you, where you find 40 arms, but I bet you it's in the 30s at the end of the year when we start counting uh, bullpen and starters. And, and I, I think that term starter is, isn't quite what it used to be. We hear that uh, bulk reliever. I think you're going to probably have eight to 10 guys that are semi-starters. Call them bulk relievers, guys who pitch multiple innings, three, four at a time, and some starters. So uh, I, I wish we had, you know, Palmer, McNally, Cuellar, Dobson, and those guys. And you say, well, you're locked in for four or five. The Orioles don't have that now. Hopefully they get it in a few years. But, uh, you know, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, those guys, they're, they're not quite ready yet. And the Orioles don't want to rush them. What do you think expectations should be for this team? We know the division's tough. The Yankees are one of the best teams. Toronto's going to be great. The Rays were just in the World Series. Do you think this season is more about some of those young guys you were talking about and having them be established in the big leagues more so than maybe wins and losses this year? I do. At least to me, that's, that's what I'm looking at. And I mean, if, you know, just as a fan, every every time you turn on the TV or the radio, you want to see them win. Right. And you know, they might not be the best team in the division. So, so how about this? Let's keep the losses under three digits, right? Let's start there keep that, I mean, if they could get it down into the low 90s, but the bigger picture is, do we see Austin Hayes become an everyday contributing outfielder? Cedric Mullins, the strides he made last year, right? I mean, I think that Oriole outfield, I can throw four names out there, and DJ Stewart would be the fifth, I guess. Say, Brandon Hyde's got some nice pieces out there that he can move around. Hayes can play all three outfield positions. Mullins is a center fielder, can run them down with the best of them. We talk about the bats, Santander, Mountcastle to me was better than I thought he would be his first year out in left field. I I thought he was very representative out there. So um, I I like that look out there, but it it goes back to what you guys said. It's all about what do they get out of the pitching? How much can they squeeze out of that in a division that's got a lot of big bats and some small stadiums? And that's going to be the challenge starting at Fenway Park tomorrow. No question. Every Orioles game this season, if you're a betting man, over, (laughs) over, over. (laughs) Scott, is there a name right now that's keeping you up as you prep for Orioles, Red Sox, or even games in the future? Has there been a a first name or a last name that caught has caught your eye that kind of keeps you up just thinking about how to pronounce it? (laughs) You know, it's funny. I just took uh, Major League Baseball sends out a basically it's a pronunciation guide for all 30 teams. And I just got that this week. So I just I just 
put it on my homepage because I, I know I'll be going there. I, I think I got the Orioles now. Now um, I, do, I do have to do a little work between now and tomorrow. If Urias is going to be at second base, I, I've seen how they spell it phonetically. I've said it before, but I've heard, I've heard it played off two or three different ways. Santander, every once in a while you throw Santander in there. You forget <laughs> it used to be. It was like M M Mike Mucina was here for about eight years, and then suddenly we realized, no, it's not Mucina, it's Messina, you know? So he, he changed about eight, nine years into his career. We we're trying to get Anthony Santander correct. Uh, but yeah, they're, the Orioles aren't too bad. It's you got to work on those opponents. Yeah, definitely. Hey, you're seeing them every night. You're not seeing all these other. You, <laughs> yes. You'll see the Red Sox now, and then you'll see them again in a month. You got to. Yeah, gotta right. Well, no, we'll we'll see them in the third series. Remember, it goes Boston, New York, Boston. Uh, they start with the Red Sox. They go to the Yankees, and they come home and open up a week from Thursday against the Red Sox again. So yeah, the <laughs> thing with baseball now, the spring games get crazy. After about the sixth inning. And, and I didn't do any early games. That's, that really gets crazy because there's, there's two number 99s and they're not listed <laughs> on, on the roster. And, uh, but, but the other night around the sixth inning, all the starters disappeared. And th there were guys, we were scrambling a little bit in, in innings eight and nine. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like preseason football that happens. Well, you're out of the regular season now in yeah. less than 24 hours. And looking at the American League as a whole, is, do you think it's flipped this year where last year it was – the Dodgers in the NL, and then it was a free-for-all in the AL. Now it's a free-for-all in the NL. Do you see anybody else at the Yankees level this year, or has it totally flipped from the National League last year? Yeah, I mean, you throw the Padres in there in the National League, right? That's kind of see how that plays out with the uh, Padres making those off-season moves. I think in the American League, I, I can never, as you guys said, the Rays went to the World Series. They're, they're the defending American League champs. Now, it took a couple of hits, right? Charlie Morton left, Snell left. But, but they seem to shake trees and find pitchers. So I, I got a feeling there will be a couple of guys that maybe aren't on the radar right now that at the end of the year, you go, man, that guy really pitched well for the Rays. So I can't dismiss them. I think the Red Sox will be better. Uh, I, th their pitching is questionable, right? They got some of the same issues as the Orioles. I mean, uh, Bogarts, Devers, they're, they're, they're going to score runs. J.D. Martinez won't be as bad as he was a year ago. So it's still a very competitive division. If I have to pick a team, I'm probably going with the Yankees, but I'm not sold on their starting pitching. They've got some yeah. question marks. And then do Stanton and Judge get their annual injuries and do they disappear for large chunks of time? I mean, on paper, if they're all healthy, yeah, the, I, I, the Yankees are darn good, but um, I'm not dismissing. Maybe even the Blue Jays, who I think are probably, their best is probably still a year or two away as those young guys and Nate Pearson, some of their young pitchers come along, but they're spending money. Uh, Toronto's getting better. So uh, in the division, I'm, I'm still going with the Yankees and Rays at the top, but the Blue Jays, Red Sox, Orioles hopefully get a little better. But if I have to pick somebody right now on paper, the Yankees, but they got some question marks too. And, and then moving further west, you got the Twins and the White Sox in the center. Yeah. You got the Astros and the Angels and the A's out west. Any of those threat to the Yankees or, or again, it's the Yankees. I, I if like healthy the Twins. They else. just can't, Twins can't do anything in the postseason, right? But I, yeah. I, I like what they have. Uh, um, I, I like what the White Sox are doing a, a little bit. Like I said earlier, I think the White Sox are that team that's still maybe their best is a couple of years down the road. Could they make some noise this year? They could, but I still think they got a lot of young pieces that 
probably learn a lot this year, and that pays off for them in a year or two. Uh, I, I still like the Twins out west, kind of wide open. You know, Oakland always seems to be there, right? They find a way. Uh, they, they're, they're a little bit like the Rays, right? Not a big yeah. payroll, but they every year you look at the standings, you go, God, they won 95 games or something, right? So I, I can't dismiss them, but I, I do think – I think I, I think the Dodgers, the Padres, throw the Yankees in there. Uh, if you're looking for the cream of the crop, those would be my picks. And now, last question before you remember our seven rapid fire and trivia questions that we oh, did yeah, over the did, summer. Oh yeah, you do that. Remember, I've lost a step. I'm a year older. Than <laughs> so, so the last last one before we get to that. Um, do you get those dynastic vibes from the Dodgers? They got the taste for winning last year. They add Trevor Bauer. Do you get that vibe that this could be a bit of a dynasty here? Now that again, now that they cleared that hurdle mentally of mm-hmm. getting that first one. Yeah, there, there's so many teams, and the Yankees were that team forever with huge payroll, right? The Dodgers kind of became the new Yankees as far as payroll. Or the, now the Yankees are they're a little leery of the luxury tax now, so they're still spending a lot of money, but not as much as they once did. I think all the pieces are there for the Dodgers. They're going to keep spending. Ownership's not going to back off. It's just a matter of can you get it done in the postseason? You know, a lot of those Yankee teams for years all made the postseason. That's what I think money does. If you're if you are outspending most teams in your sport, there's a good chance you're going to be in the playoffs. That really increases your chances. Now, can you win against the best when you get there? And there's some luck involved. Uh, and and that's where I'd say are the Dodgers going to win four world series in five years? I can't say that, but uh, if I had to pick one team to do that, they would be the team, right? The Astros became that team for a while where you look like, man, they're good. They, they, they could run off three and four years or something. And then stuff happens, but I don't think the Dodgers wherewithal and that markets, I was going to be LA. So uh, they've got access to a lot of dollars. Other teams don't have. It's going to be interesting to watch, and I hope that my New York Mets at some point start spending like the Dodgers do, and we'll see how that goes. You got a new owner. He looks like he wants to spend some money. I know. What what do they throw at Lindor, like 10 years for 320 or something? You had to think about it? Yep, and he turned Uh, it down. I'm not sure I'd give him that. Let let me get back to you on that in a few days. (laughs) (laughs) That $320 deal. It must be nice to turn down that kind of money. I was going to say, I cannot fathom saying no to that kind of money, but hey, I also so, talk it over with my like wife that. and we'll may, maybe you know we'll, we'll see i think i think by tomorrow it'll hopefully be announced that's at least a mess fan of me hoping but is that time scott this swift seven and then the trivia question i'll start it off with an easy one uh most exciting young player in baseball not named fernando tatis jr oh yeah that was that was uh <laughs> akuna's pretty young isn't he yeah he is 22 there. yeah yeah, I mean, if if he's playing, you kind of want to take a peek to see what he might do. Uh, number two, road and there's park. the one down the parkway is not bad either. Soto, Soto. he's pretty good oh, too. Oh my god, <laughs> that's a good one. Sky's too. the limit for him too. Yeah. Uh, number two, road ballpark. You're most looking forward to getting back to once traveling's allowed. Well, my 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 two favorites of all time are still the. I'm like old school, so Fen, Fenway in the American League and Wrigley in the National League. Have you been to all of them or close to all of them? Um, there, there's a couple I miss, a couple of the new ones, but all the old traditional ones, yeah, I've, I've seen them. I've seen them all. And that's what I tell everybody. Hey, I don't care if you're a baseball fan, find a way to get to 
get to Boston for a weekend and see Fenway Park and the same with Wrigley Field. Absolutely. Experience so much that. history there, baseball fan or not. Uh, number three, favorite menu item from Boog's Barbecue? I got to go with the barbecue, man. I mean, that, that's it. So I, I stopped by to see him at toward the end of the 19th season. We were doing a show down at the ballpark. And I, I said, I wonder if Boog's out there because we're out in that area. And I, I was going home. I wasn't staying for the game. And so Boog was signing for some people. And I waited a minute. And I said, he, and he insisted. He goes, come on, you got to take. I said, no, my wife's got dinner. I, so I got into a, like a two-minute wrestling match with Boog Powell was trying to give me barbecue. And I was saying, no, Boog, not tonight, not tonight. No, I, lo I love his stuff, yeah. It's good. Uh, number four, and then I turn it over to PJ for three of them. There's a big-time split, I think, among people when it comes to alternate colored jerseys. I know this because, like I said, as a Mets fan, we just brought back the black ones, and some people hate it, some people love it. So where do you stand on that argument when teams bring in, like, a third jersey that has nothing to do with their colors? You like it, okay. you hate it? Okay, yes, yes. Um, I have a strong opinion, but it's personal because I know a lot of the young kids like – you know, when, when I see the Baltimore Ravens play, I want to see purple and black and traditional. I grew up with the Green Bay Packers. I want to see green and gold. I don't want to see some throwback from 1922. <laughs> uh, I, here's the thing. Baseball's got 162 games. If you're the Green Bay Packers or a fan of the Ravens, you only get eight regular season home games. And if they, if they show up in some cartoon costume for one of them, and that's your game that you had a ticket for, you got robbed. So baseball, I get it. You got 81 home games. And, you know, if you want to try, I love tradition. I don't want to see the New York Yankees in anything, but that pinstripe and the locking NY, right? There's some, the LA Dodgers, that uniform. I don't want to see that messed up and come out in all blues on a Sunday night game or something. Uh, that, that's the old school in me. And I'm not really a uniform guy. I know what I like and I know what I don't like. I like that, that D the Tigers wear, right? That English D. I mean, that's, that's, I don't want to see them in something orange or something crazy. Yeah. I'm but if you. young kids like it, who am I to tell them what they like, right? Uh, question number five. That wasn't it, very rapid. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you had the chance, would you rather be able to call a perfect game or a four home run game? Probably a perfect game. Yeah. I mean, what's better than perfect? Yeah, I'm with you. That, that'd be pretty That'd be pretty cool. Some guy might hit five one game. No, That's I true. mean, they're both pretty special, right? Yeah. Were you in the ballpark the night uh, Josh Hamilton had the four home runs? I don't think I was there. I don't think I was. Probably for the I best because that was tough on TV to watch. Yeah. Um, I did something in the warehouse, a luncheon or something a week later. And I said, somebody look out there and see if Josh Hamilton's finished. <laughs> um, do you think we see Adley Rutschman at some point this season, later on in the season? I, I think it's kind of a jump ball um, September. I think it's, I think there's a decent chance if, you know, if, if he's doing well, he's healthy. Um, why not expose him, get him, you know, he's been in spring training with the big leaguers and played in spring games why not get them up here in September? I mean, I, I doubt if they're going to be, you know, a game out of first place or three games in with the pennant on the line. Mm -hmm. So yeah, bring them up and let the fans see him and let him get accustomed. I, I, I think he needs a year of playing, you know, whether yeah. it's double A, triple A, I think it's going to start in double A. I think he needs a year of games and, you know, catch Grayson Rodriguez and catch DL Hall and get comfortable with some of the young arms. But Man, I think he he would love it. I think fans would love it unless they feel, you know, I, I don't know what the downside is unless he's worn out. We need to take it easy. 
I agree. And then last question of the Swift Seven. What do you think will be the higher total this season? Lamar Jackson touchdown passes or Santander home runs? Oh, so how did maybe Lamar throw last year? Did you guys look that up? I did not. I think maybe right around 25 to 30. I, yeah, I was... well, that's that's my range for Santander. <laughs> right. I, I would be, <clears throat> you know, he's starting, he's, he's going to play opening day, but he had, he had a little twinge in the oblique. Mm-hmm. And they went easy with him the last week. And that was his injury late last year. But prior to that, man, he, he was in league leaders in about six different categories. So I, I got it. I got him going, let's keep him healthy. He's going to get 28 and Lamar's going to get about 26, 27. So right. time there, the winner. Down yeah, to the wire like in that one. I like it. I like neck it. and neck. Absolutely. Like Aladar down the stretch. <laughs> uh, all right. Nice job, Scott. You made it through the Swift Seven. Trivia question time now for you. Uh-oh. And it's an opening day question. Chris Tillman has st- started three straight opening days for the Orioles from 2014 to 2016. Since then, five different pitchers have started opening day for the O's, including this year. John Means takes the mound tomorrow wow. against Boston. So between 2017 and 2020, the O's had four different opening day starters. Do you know who those four are? Wow. None of them are still around. I know that. That is correct. <laughs> and actually, yeah. two of them, two Dylan, of the guys, did, on, yeah, Bundy's one of them. Yep. Bundy, did Gosman get an opener? Bosman, yeah, Gosman, yep. And he's starting okay. for San Francisco, and Bundy's starting for the Angels tomorrow. So, so go. I've got two, right? Who else do we have? Bud Norris never got an opening day start. Not Bud Norris, um, nope. Who else isn't here? Uh, one Riga, no, not him. I think I'm going to throw wave the white flag, guys. And so Tommy Malone was last year. He oh, started, of course, started who for the O's. How could we have forgot Tommy Malone last year? <laughs> and and then uh, the toughest one was Andrew Kashner in 2019. Cashner would no way I would have come up with that now Malone wasn't supposed to start last year what something something happened uh right toward the end the last week of spring training you're right yeah means got hurt or something maybe yeah yeah that was that's what it was yeah means what means was the starter wasn't ready to go so Tommy Malone got the start came in there and started yeah so so John means will be the the fifth guy uh yeah straight I, year that I got a different I mean I, I got a whole different level from my team I got Jacob DeGrom starting tomorrow so I got zero worries in the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't think they're gonna move off of that one for a while right no, wouldn't it be nice good. to see means or somebody start like five straight openers back in like the Palmer days where you had that guy and there wasn't much question he was going to get the ball on opening day and he might win you anywhere between 15 and 20 games uh, Scott, before we let you go, you're, the thing that you're just most looking forward to tomorrow, the thing you're most excited about, just the whole day, finally being back at the ballpark. Yeah, I, I love the game. So the, the game between the lines is back and will be with us for six months plus the postseason. And then, as I said at, at the top, just to hear fans back and look around the stadium and see orange. And, uh, hey, whether the Orioles in 1984 coming out of the World Series opening day at Memorial Stadium, I was there. Or 1989, remember, 1988, they started 0-21. The stadium was filled in 1989, and they beat Roger Clemens, and Cal hit a big home run, and they went on that run where they they were in first place more than any other team in the division that year and lost 
lost the division, battled for it on the final weekend in, in Toronto. And that's the great thing about sports, right? We never know. We think we know what's going to happen, but we really never know. And that's part of opening day, right? Where, how, how's this going to play? How's this guy going to do? Is yeah. that guy that we thought was going to be good this year going to be terrible? And that guy that we didn't even think might be here shows up a month into the season and has a great year. That's that's all part and, of it. And that's what makes opening day so special is that the no optimism. matter how bad, exactly, no matter, take the Pirates this year. The Pirates set the all-time record for lowest preseason win total in Vegas. And every single Pirates fan will be thrilled for at least a week, at the very <laughs> least. Beyond that, yeah. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. But at least for tomorrow and the next few days, they will be grinning and beaming with joy. So that is what makes opening day so special. Hey, I think the bottom line is we all love the game, whether our teams are good at it or bad exactly. at it, right? We, we still love the game, and we hope we, we pull for our team, right? Bad, bad teams that have been bad teams for a long time still have fans. People don't bail, say, hey, if, if not, everybody be a Yankee fan. That wouldn't be any fun, <laughs> right? It's true. That's why it's America's pastime. Everybody can yeah. relate to it. Hope Scott, springs eternal. That's what they say on always. opening day. Yeah. That's true. Always. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. We know you got a big day tomorrow. Good luck to you on the season. And Good uh, to you guys. Go O's. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate right, it. PJ, Joe, good talking. Yeah, yep. Take care. Once again, thanks again to Scott Garceau for joining us. Good luck to him and the Orioles broadcast team on their season as they start the long journey, Joe. Yeah, yeah, PJ, my big takeaway from that is he confirmed what you and I were talking about off the air before he came on, and that's bet the over in every single Orioles game this year. Which means tomorrow will be a 2-0 game between the Red Sox and the Orioles. They're going to score a combined 10 runs in the first series, but – I would be very – and look, when it comes to totals like that, as the season goes along, Vegas will adjust. Yeah. Orioles totals might start being higher than you typically see if that's the case. But I'm very curious at the end of the year what the record is of overs versus unders because they can't pitch really on paper. They won't be able to pitch very well, I should say, at least no, on paper. They won't. They should be able to mash. You look in that division, you got the Yankees, you got the Blue Jays. The Red Sox also can't pitch but can hit. So you're playing the vast majority of your games, obviously, against teams in your division. So the Orioles' overs are going to be, I think, hitting at an astounding rate this year. Yeah, people might be surprised. If you watched the Orioles a little bit last year, you know that they put up some runs, especially before they started to suffer some injuries down the stretch. But especially because last year there was so much pressure on every game because of how tight Mm -hmm. the season was. Now we're in a full 162, and when people play the Orioles, a lot of times maybe managers will rest some of their starters or guys will just go through the motion because it's the Orioles. But their lineup can hit, and all these guys are young, and they want to stay up in the big leagues and earn their roster spot and make a living for themselves. So they're going to score. There's not a doubt in my mind, but the problem is they won't keep teams – uh, they they won't they'll give up a lot of runs. If you don't want to bet the over for their whole season, at least just bet the over when they play the Yankees. I can still hear Gary Thorne in the mm. back of my mind calling those Glaber Torres home runs. Oh, oh here's yeah. another one. <laughs> Last year was Grichik who lit him up for Toronto. Um, but yeah, talking to Scott and we had our baseball preview like three weeks ago, and watching spring training now on the eve of the season. Is there anything else you want to kind of add to your predictions? You had Dodgers. Did you have Dodgers-Yankees? I had Dodgers-Yankees. I went total chalk, and I went with the Dodgers. And 
all that's been reaffirmed for me in the past couple weeks is that the Yankees have to make it this year. If the Yankees don't make the World Series, colossal failure. Boone is – he might be on the outs because you look to the past few years, and we've touched on this. We touched on it with Scott. We touched on it in our baseball preview a couple weeks ago. The leagues are flipped this year. The NL is going to be a brawl. The AL is going to be the Yankees and then everybody else. Last year it was the Dodgers and everybody else and then a free uh, absolute brawl in the American League. So if this year, after all the money they spent on Cole before last season and with all the guys they have, and I was listening to some New York radio today, actually, Michael Kay, and they were talking about it. Uh, the Yankees are below the competitive balance threshold comfortably as well, which means come the deadline, if fans start coming back into seats by then, they can go all out and buy at the deadline and go out and add guys like Anthony Rizzo and whoever else they may need. So if they don't make it this year with how weak the AL is as a whole, Boone might be out and we're going to start talking about the Yankees and, and how they've been coming up short of late. And if they need to, I don't know, I don't want to say blow things up because the talent's there, but what exactly they have to tweak because there's no excuse for them not making the world series this year. Now the NL is a different story. Um, and, and, the question originally before I went on my Yankees tangent, because I wanted to get that out there. It's one of the things I wanted to harp on that I didn't really get a chance to harp on too, too much in the baseball preview. Uh, my opinions really haven't changed about much. And I'm going to sound like a total homer about this, except for the Mets. The I had expectations for the Mets and they even surpassed those in spring training. Now with my luck, they're going to come out and, you know, suck the first two weeks, but you had Pete Alonso hitting up in the upper three hundreds, mashing the ball comes out talking about how he's made certain tweaks to his game. His goal for this season is 130 RBIs. He looked like a better version in spring training of the rookie self that hit 50 homers. Francisco Lindor was everything is advertised, and now we're just waiting to see if he gets something at the deadline as far as his, uh, his contract goes. In the bullpen, that's always a big question. Diaz looked like the Diaz they traded Jared Kalenic, the number four prospect in baseball for. So if he's back to that elite stud closer, that's huge. The other uh, bullpen guys they got, specifically Miguel Castro, looked lights out in spring training. And Jacob deGrom, for all that we know about Jacob deGrom, somehow looked like he took his game to a whole nother level, topping out at 102, which he's never done, consistently hitting 100, which he would touch every now and then. And his, re- his record was ridiculous. He, had, he only gave up a few hits. He gave up one run on a home run that popped off of Dom Smith's glove and then went over the wall. His ERA was 0.66. So the expectations that I had for the Mets already were increased exponentially after seeing how some of the guys played. The NL is going to be great. And what's great about it is that the, the best teams are all in the same division. The NL Central is going to stink. Yeah. We know the Pirates are going to stink. The Reds won't be good. The Brewers maybe get a wild card. Cubs, same thing. The Cardinals should win that division. But the Cardinals aren't as good as the Dodgers or the Padres or the Mets or the Braves. So the four best teams in the NL are all or will both be battling it out in the same divisions, which should be fun to watch. The AL, I mean, I, I try to find a team that can beat the Yankees. The problem is, is that I think the teams that actually might end up being their biggest threats, who are the Blue Jays and the White Sox, I agree with Scott. I just think they're, they're maybe a year or two away. The White Sox, I just don't think have enough pitching yet. Their lineup, phenomenal. Blue Jays, same thing. I just don't know if they have the pitching yet. And Minnesota. And Springer's you- already out with an oblique, and you know oblique's, 
or, or a scary word like yeah, for a baseball pass, player yeah you that's don't know bad. exactly how long it's going to be so that's bad and minnesota you know again the postseason until they do it i just i can't buy into them and it seems like they play the yankees every year and not only can they not beat the yankees they can't even win a game against them they get swept every year the, the wild card game maybe going back three years now if memory serves me correct they got that like four or five run first inning lead yep. on the yankees they get it right still, back they they didn't even make it into later in the game. By the second inning, it was the Yankees in, in front. So they can't right. beat the Yankees, period. They can't beat them. Um, Houston, you know, might be that team just because they have the postseason experience and because Verlander is injured and it's really only Granky to start the season and because Altuve had such a down year and Bregman had a down year, they might not be as high on people's radars. So maybe it could be the Astros to take them out, but – Look, it's going to be the Yankees will have their injuries during the season. It'll be Cole and everybody else in the pitching staff. But then come September and October, they'll be healthy. They'll be ready to go. And I just don't see anybody beating them. But I'm glad it's back. This happens every year with baseball because once NFL hits, I just get into total college basketball mode as that comes down the stretch. And then once March hits, forget about anything else. And then opening day pops up and it's it's finally here. So it should be. A lot of fun. And, and, and before, I can't we the do, before we do transition to college basketball here, because you know we have to to autopsy the tournament we've seen so far and get into the Final Four, uh, the question I pose to Scott, I want to pose to you as well. Do you think the Dodgers can be a dynasty? Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think we talked about uh, this with, with Tim Kirchin too. I mean, they added Trevor Bauer. The Dodgers, again, we talked about this lat- with this team in the postseason last year. Where are their holes? I mean, it's the bullpen. And when they get to the postseason, maybe that is their bugaboo. But when you have three frontline starters like they do, you got Dustin May to back him up. You got Gratterall to back him up. I mean, Kenley Jansen didn't even really pitch in many games because they didn't and, and, and need him. And that's the thing. That's it's the just, thing. They don't like, have holes. Uh, you know, and because it's baseball, they absolutely could lose. But, man, on paper, it is tough to find holes with that team. And I'm just going to get to that. Last year, they were down 3-1 to against the Braves, and it felt like everybody still expected them to win the series. There was no doubt. And you mentioned that the bullpen could be their issue in the regular season. Fine, 100% a fact. But come the postseason, if they transition to a three- or four-man rotation, well, now, all right, so now in your rotation, you've got Bauer, you've got Kershaw, You've got Walker Bueller, who everybody forgets about. If you transition to three, maybe four-man rotation or three in a bullpen day in the playoffs, that means you're able to push Gonsal into the bullpen. You're able to push May to the bullpen. Uh, All these other guys, you saw what what Arias did last year. Gratterall came out of nowhere and throws the most effortless 101 miles an hour I've seen in my entire life. Every pitch he throws – he looks like he's exerting absolutely nothing. It's a very short, quick windup, and it's 101 every time. And then you get to Kenley Jansen. So even though that's their Achilles heel, even that gets stronger in the playoffs because you don't need as much of a rotation and you push those pitchers to the bullpen. And you have super reliever Dustin May like we saw last year, super reliever Gonsolin like we saw at times last year. So that's the thing with right. them. And all those guys you mentioned, well, not all of them, but a lot of them are young. And a lot of them are controlled for beyond this year. And the big one that we have to see how things play out in free agency next year is Seager. But 
if they lose Seager, does this team really miss that much of a beat? Yes. They'll but miss like, a beat. But, but they'll have this, so much fire. Instead, instead of being projected to win the West, which is already a great division with the Padres, instead of being projected to win the West by like eight games, maybe they'll be projected to win it by three. And still, you're going to be picking them to win everything, even if they lose Seager. And I don't think they're going to lose Seager because they're going to just throw a boatload of money because, like Scott said, they're inclined to throw as much money around. They are now kind of the modern-day Yankees, which is so weird to think about because the Dodgers are likable. Nobody – or not many people dislike them, which is so weird to think yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. Considering how good they are. That's a good point. The Padres, I just – I really cannot wait to watch how their season unfolds. Getting Snell, getting Darvish to go with Paddock and Clevenger – and Tatis and Manny. The difference with the Dodgers and the Padres is obviously the experience and all the experience the Dodgers have. The bullpen, too, because, I mean, the Padres, their top three is as good as any. But, again, the bullpen, what do they go to? And then after Tatis and Manny, who's the guy in the lineup? Hosmer's had a great track record in the postseason. He's got, like, a little George Springer in him when it comes to October. They'll need that. But, I mean, Will Myers, is he going to be that guy to step up? Like, they're just going to need more guys, whereas the Dodgers, I mean, they got six dudes that you just know are going to be tough outs. But it's, it's going to be great because the Padres were that team that we thought might be good. But now we know they're going to be good. We're just getting ready to see how good they get to be. The fact that they're going to have some fans in their ballpark this season, because that's the only pro team in San Diego. Mm. So the fact that now that they're finally good and fans get to enjoy that will be a lot of fun. And now that they got the Dodgers and the Padres two hours away from each other, that's that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm just I'm happy baseball's and back. Don't sleep on Will Myers either. That guy had some MVP votes last year, and he's just kind of buried in there in the Padres lineup. That's a big uh, player to watch as well key to their success as they go on throughout the year definitely all right joe march madness time so we took the week off last week because you had to move down to florida i was busy with things we had travis thomas on who was our last guest to preview the tournament but we haven't actually talked about march madness and uh boy the tournament has not disappointed two years uh two years ago was our last tournament we obviously didn't have last year because of the pandemic but it has not disappointed it looked like it was going to be a little chalky in the final four gonzaga baylor houston is the two seed and then michigan but ucla just going on this magical run uh and look for for as wild of a tournament as it's been it kind of ended up going the way most people thought right gonzaga was not going to have a problem getting to the final four yeah Sure, somebody could have knocked off Baylor, but the general consensus was Baylor was making it. Yep. Uh, in Illinois' part of the bracket, I was high on them. Many people were high on them. But there was always the specter of Loyola Chicago. What do they do? Because just how specific of a matchup that is and a clash of styles and little brother in state versus big brother. You were all over that. But if not, if not Illinois, it was always going to be Houston. That, that region was always one of those two. Yes. There were very few other teams who were thought to have a chance. And then the big one was Michigan's region where you could have seen about five or six teams coming out of it. And UCLA wasn't even one of those five or six. So overall, it kind of went to form in terms of the final four. It's just, we didn't necessarily think that UCLA was going to be the team that came out when the dust cleared 
from that region. Hats off to Mick Cronin. I mean, a lot of people were talking Bama, talking FSU, talking the other Pac-12 team in Colorado coming out of there. Uh, who, who else was a hot, hot Florida State, Florida. Texas, yeah. yeah. Texas was the other one, lost to Abilene. That was the one that I was all over, so we each get one from, uh, from the early rounds. Uh, but UCLA, of all the teams, they come out of it. And what an incredible run it's been for them. Overtime against Michigan State, they do uh, go ahead and get the favorable matchup then of uh, Abilene Christian after they took down BYU. But then they back that up with Bama and Michigan you can't take that That's, away. to me, I mean, to beat both of those teams back-to-back. Back, and, I mean, look, they got lucky. Bama missed 15 free throws. Michigan scored 49 points. But you got to give UCLA credit. I mean, they still found a way to win the game. It's just funny. Mick Cronin had all those great teams at Cincinnati, two seeds, three seeds. And he never got to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did once, but his teams were never a threat. And then here he is. He goes to the Pac-12, his first tournament with the Bruins. They lose four straight to end the regular season, gets into the first four, and he goes first four to final four. He beats Izzo. He beats Bama. He beats Michigan. And now he gets a chance to beat – if they beat Gonzaga, Joe, just oh replace them with the Houston Rockets in the NBA. There's just oh, – I, I mean, if you take down arguably three of the best teams in the, and then if they were to back that up with Baylor – would Once be the greatest you, story in the history of the tw- – like, to, those four wins is just ridiculous. Once you that. got through your thought, I was going to go there. For missing the tournament last year and for as great of a tournament it's been, could you imagine UCLA <laughs> being Gonzaga? And the only problem is, no, I cannot even in my wildest dreams imagine that because Gonzaga has been a buzzsaw. And they've really – granted, they've had an easy path. That's not their fault. They play the teams in front of them. Right. Granted, they've had an easier path than a typical team you'd expect, but they've left no doubt. And I'm curious to see, again, how it looks against UCLA, how it looks against Baylor. But in theory, you know, in, in terms of talking about the greatest team ever debate, they've got a chance to get through the whole tournament not winning a game by fewer than 15 points. That's insane. It is. Unde- undefeated possibly not lo- winning a game by fewer than 15 points. I, gr- I think the Mich- the Baylor game would be closer. I do think they're going to blow the doors off of UCLA. I think the, the magic kind of runs out and Gonzaga just absolute buzzsaw that they are. I mean, what makes them so special. And I think myself included, you know, you, you talked about how you weren't necessarily so high on USC or Oregon in your bracket because you didn't watch a lot of the PAC 12 this year. Anybody who doesn't live in Spokane or on the West Coast is probably lying if they told you they watched a lot of Gonzaga this year. Maybe they watched the non-con games like the one against Iowa, Virginia. I did as well. Um, But did you watch them against Pepperdine? Did you watch them against UC Santa Cruz? No. So you didn't really really know exactly what they were. But Suggs is a bona fide top five pick. Kispert is a great college player. Timmy is unstoppable. And then you start getting into guys like Ayayi and so on and so on. Like, they could beat you in so many ways. You want to play small, Timmy will kill you. You want to play inside, they'll kill you outside with the threes from Suggs, with the threes from Kisper. Any way you want them to beat you on a given night, they can if they so choose. And they are going to be in that debate of greatest team of all time if they complete this tournament run. And it's very poetic that UCLA is their final four foe. You think back to that Adam Morrison team with the image of him crying on the court, who were they playing in that game? Mm. UCLA. You think about all the 
the bulk of the teams that have gone undefeated historically, all, all John Wood and UCLA. And then you got, you know, your, your Indiana, your UNLV in there, your San Francisco from back in the day. Um, you've got all that in there, but all those UCLA teams, and that's who they get in the final four. So there's a poetry to that, and I appreciate it. But all I want is Gonzaga Baylor in the title game, which is the game that we were robbed of earlier in the year because like two days prior, Baylor had a positive COVID test. So it seems like destiny that we finally get that in the title game. So I think that Houston is actually going to be Baylor. And the reason is it wouldn't stun me. This NCAA tournament, I've gone through it. And I think the five best possible matchups that we could have gotten from this tournament were Oklahoma state, Illinois, Illinois, Baylor, Bama, Michigan, and Bama, Gonzaga. We haven't gotten any None of them. And the last one that we, okay, but we deserve won. it. We deserve it. But we the way this tournament's going, others, we deserve just, this one. Look, Houston, I mean, if they just make some shots, they're going to win this game. Their defense is phenomenal. They will off their offensive rebounding is as average. They almost got 20 offensive boards against Oregon State. It was unbelievable. If they, if Grimes and Sasser and Jarreau, if they can hit their threes, man, they'll, they're going to give Baylor a game and a bunch of people because everybody wants to see Gonzaga and Baylor happen. And we just haven't gotten the matchups that we wanted. It's a dream matchup. That I'm game. telling you. I, I really hope we get it because. For all that I just said about the, the many different guys and the many different ways Gonzaga can beat you, Baylor's the same way. They have so many different guys on a given night that do different things between Butler, Teague, um, Mitchell is their defensive stud, mm-hmm. John Chachua, Mark Vital. I mean, just guy after guy who can do so many different things. Um, Sam, like I said with Gonzaga, so many guys who do so many different things. I wouldn't even know how to predict the way that game would go like you 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 could pretty much have thought in your mind's eye how like a game how a game like Alabama Maryland our our game how you you could picture kind of how that game was going to go you could picture how that Illinois Loyola Chicago game was going to go stylistically I don't know what I would expect out of that Baylor Gonzaga game would would Baylor try to go pace for pace with Gonzaga because they can would they try to slow it down because they can on the flip side, Gonzaga, will they try to play through Timmy? Because they can. Will they play outside with Suggs and Kispert? Because they can. I don't know which way those teams would go. And probably the answer probably is a little bit of everything. You're probably going to see stretches where they slow it down, where they speed it up, where they go inside and bang bodies with Timmy, where they go outside and shoot with Kispert and vice versa with Teague and with uh, Mitchell and those guys. It's going to be a mixed bag, and it's good. that's what makes that, for me, such a great dream matchup that there's so many ways it can go. And I hope we see it. I really do, Peach. We need that game. We, we deserve that game after not having a tournament. We deserve that game, I think, more than we deserve a crazy UCLA-Gonzaga upset. Just give us an all-time classic title game yeah. to cap off not having a tournament last year. As title games go, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't remember one that would be more anticipated. That that would be a pretty good one. Off the top of your head, what would you say has been your favorite tournament game so far? Favorite game in the tournament? All right. I'm going to go off the board here because this one just popped in my mind. And no, it's not because I picked this as a big upset. I really liked that Abilene-Texas game just because I had had never seen Abilene play. Never. 
the reason I picked that upset was just, you know, going off in numbers, going off of my friend who's a reporter down there and what I've heard him say about the team, going off of the mentality of it's little brother against big brother in the state of Texas. It's the only reason I picked that upset. I had not watched a second of Abilene basketball. And the way they played that game, it's the old cliche of giving 110%. They made that real. I was exhausted watching Abilene play. That was the game in its purest form, I think, for an underdog. Like, if you were to have a teaching tape for how all future underdogs should kind of play, it's what they did. Their defense swarmed. They had a, give it, they'd given up a couple of runs to Texas where Texas kind of went up by four or five points, and then they didn't go away. They punched right back. Um, bes- besides all of that, the intensity, the physicality, um, it still came down to the wire. It came down to those last two free throws that had to be hit, and then Texas not scoring in the end. So even besides that whole fact that it was almost a perfect upset, it, little brother in state, given it's your all, the little engine that could, it was also a great finish. It's not like some of the upsets we've seen where, you know, the team that goes on and wins is, is you know, um, think of the game – uh, who was that now? I'm trying to think. I remember, did, uh, I'm thinking of an upset and I, I could picture the game itself, but I can't picture the team was, um, I'll get off of that one, but the Lehigh Duke game, you know, certain other upsets like Missouri Norfolk really, state. Was it down? Oh, that, I think that's the one. That's the one. That's the one. So you don't always necessarily get close games in upsets. You get the big team that's kind of shell shocked and they start to fall back by a few points. And it ends up being like a seven-point win. This was to the wire, clutch free throws. Everything about that game I really loved. Um, but it's been a great tournament, and there's been so many others. What's your pick? My pick? So I'm looking through all the games, the three that stick out. I mean, the Oral Roberts-Ohio State game because of the upset. But it was just the fact that Oral Roberts won that game. I mean, Ohio State didn't play bad. They obviously didn't play great, or they would have won. But Oral Roberts was just hitting shots. Their offense, Amos and uh, and O'Banner were as advertised. They were great. Um, I think the highest level game so far the tournament was that Michigan LSU game. Just the, I mean, the shots that like Cam Thomas was hitting and Watford and Smart. Just the level of basketball for that game and Michigan as a team who really their defense doesn't get tested like that, but for them to respond like they did without livers, that game was great. And then even though it wasn't the result I wanted, the Bama UCLA game was pretty good. The shot at the end was great. Uh, that, that was a solid game. Those three, but I, I mean, the Michigan LSU game was probably my favorite so far. Just, I mean, that game, you just look at that and you're like, damn, that is high level basketball. That was, that was a great, great game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this Houston-Baylor game has a chance to be really good. The Houston-Ruckers game was solid, too. Ruckers played so well. I mean, they, they had a chance to win that game. That's another part of it, too, is part of me thinks, like, is Houston maybe the team that could win this whole thing because that is your classic survive and advance game, the game that you just have absolutely no business of winning, but you just find a way. And then since then, they really – I mean, they ran right through Syracuse – Oregon State, they were up 17 at half, completely blew the lead. It was tied, but then found a way to want win it. So you just wonder 
if maybe Houston is is the team to to win this whole thing. But uh, it's been a great tournament. We had some great upsets. It just it really does never disappoint. So glad it's back. And uh, you know, props to the NCAA and the city of Indianapolis for making it all work. Next year, hopefully, we can get to all the different regions around the country and get more fans back. But for what it was, it definitely. It was great to have it back and uh, taking more mental notes, Joe, so that hopefully Absolutely. I have a great bracket next year. I, I got to tell you, UCLA never crossed my mind of making never the final did. four. I never did. Can't and, have that one. And it's it's the beauty of it. You, you just never know which team that's going to mm-hmm. be. Like we said, that we knew that was the wide open portion of the bracket. We knew that. That was what everybody said. You know, for for bracket pools specifically. You're going to get Gonzaga. You're probably going to get Baylor. You're going to get either Illinois or Houston. Who comes out of Michigan's region? And for all the teams that we thought were possible, that was not one of them yeah. at all. Uh, and, Didn't and even I think they just, win their first four games. No, nope, not at all. <laughs> and they probably shouldn't have. They were down 16, yeah. and they Michigan State uh, blew that one, and they lost in overtime. But I was, while you were talking, I was looking it up. It wasn't the Norfolk State-Missouri game. That was a two-point game. I don't know what game I was thinking of, but I do remember Lehigh Duke was kind of like that. Lehigh won by five. Uh, the perfect example of what I was trying to illustrate before, why I didn't think of this one at, at the beginning as the number one game that crossed my mind, you think of UMBC, Virginia. UMBC ran them out the gym in the end. So sometimes sometimes it upsets you get that where yeah. the team is just shell-shocked and it ends up being a, a six-plus point game. Again, Lehigh won that game by five. But So that's what made that Abilene-Texas game stick out to me so much. The, the energy and the – passion in its purest form and that it came down to the wire too so that, that was it for me but you know to, to go with what you said just um making mental notes for for the future uh you gotta stop i think thinking about past tournament uh successes or failures and you touched on it before and i wanted to circle back to it with mick cronin i mean there's a guy who had all these teams and never did it and then this UCLA team in what's a perceived down year for the Pac-12, which sends three teams – or four teams, excuse me, to the Sweet 16, three mm-hmm. teams to the Elite Eight, uh, a team to the Final Four, and an 11-seed UCLA could have sent another one. Oregon State was really close in that game, like you said. Uh, so they're, they're in the perceived little brother of the Power Five conferences. They lost their last four regular season games. Mick Cronin has his track record of two and three seeds not making any sort of runs, and they're in the final four. So I think that just sometimes in this tournament, and that's why when we argue back and forth about evaluating a team or a conference's strength based on the tournament, you just throw everything out the window, and, and certain things are just not explainable. Like there, there is no statistical or – uh, or just matchup-based reason to point to as to how UCLA has made this run. They just yeah, did it. I don't know. I mean, they just it. did it. I really don't Again, know. down 16 to Michigan State, <laughs> won the game. Beat BYU, beat Abilene. Alabama, after going 16 of 33 from beyond the arc against Maryland, makes, what, seven in that game, yeah. was it? And they missed 14 free throws. So UCLA didn't really win that game as much as Alabama lost that game. And then Michigan last night, for as prolific as they've been all year, they barely hit 50. Or they didn't hit 50. It was 51-49. So, UCLA had three players score in the first half. Juzang had eight. Crazy. That, to me, 
I mean, to have three players score in 20 minutes and and to win a game against a team as good as Michigan. So, I mean, that's that's the first mental note that I make for the next bracket that you can't really even try. I mean, you really can't. As much as you try, (laughs) you can't. It's all up, right? And the other thing is this. That also illustrates that point. My favorite story from all of March Madness, a guy made a bracket in his dog's name. Dog's name was Satchel. And he did it based solely on mascots. Animals get preference. Dogs get preference over another animal. And then he kind of arbitrarily, if it was an animal versus an animal, but not a dog involved, he arbitrarily picked based on which mascot looked like it would be friendlier with his dog. And then if there was a game where there was no animals involved, he just picked a higher seed. Um, That's how he made the bracket. It was one of the last perfect brackets standing based on only that. It was in the ESPN's 99.9 percentile until very recently. And it's probably going to finish there if Gonzaga wins at all against Baylor or because, uh, in the bracket, he had Gonzaga going all the way and Baylor going all the way because he had Baylor-Houston. He had three of the final four teams correct, I believe. Uh, I don't believe he had UCLA, even though they're uh, an animal, because he eventually had them against, I believe it was Michigan, and he had Michigan winning as, a, mm. as another animal higher seed. But he had that many teams in the final four, and he's probably going to have the title game correct if it's Gonzaga-Baylor, and he's going to have the winner correct if it's Gonzaga because he made a bracket in his dog's name, and that's it. I mean, that, that, what more do you need than UCLA making the Final Four and a dog's bracket being better than yours, PJ, to next time around put way less stress and effort into a bracket, which we're going to do anyway, because well, we count clearly, it ourselves every year, and then we're going to do it. Clearly that dog's watching more Ken Palm than Worm is, because that's, <laughs> that's, all, that's all the explanation for that. That's... That is a crazy story. Look, I mean, you hear it all the time with everybody that wins their office pools. It's their six-year-old daughter or it's mm-hmm. their 80-year-old grand granddad. I mean, whatever it is. My so. girlfriend beat me the last three years. I beat her this year, but the last <laughs> three years before that, she beat me. She doesn't really watch much. And I she, think she wanted to. Here's the kicker. She actually wanted to put UCLA in the final four because she loves watching late night Pac-12 a bit with Bill Walton. Mm. And she decided against it because she was like, ah, there's no way that they can make it. But she wanted to do that. Could you imagine if she did that? She's people kicking wondering, herself. People will be wondering how she had UCLA in the final four. Her only logic was going to be, I like watching Bill Walton late at night. That's it. So. That's, that's, I mean, how do you top that? There we go. Time to move on to trivia. Mic drop. Um, all right, Joe, you're up 16 to 15. And uh, I'll go first. I'll give you my question. Okay. Shocker. It's baseball opening day. Mets related for you. So it's along the same lines as uh, the question for Garceau about Mets starters on opening day. And if right. you can give me the most five recent Mets starters who have started opening day, 2014, 15, 16, and then the last four years, you had two pitchers start two of the years that I'm sure you will get. So there you go. Can you going back to 14 and you want them all, right? Correct. Five right. of them. Yep, go ahead. All right. 2014. So this is the year before they went to the World Series. Um, I, I'll keep Matt Harvey in the back of my mind. I don't remember if he was injured, 
for the 14 season or the 15 season, which one it was. Um, I do believe that Noah Syndergaard is in there. He started twice, 2017 okay. and 18. And obviously Jacob DeGrom is he in there. He started 2019 yeah. and 2020. There you go. So you need the other so, three. All right. See, the, the tough thing here is the Mets pitching staff, for as bad as they've been at times, 45 seconds has been their one saving grace. So it's just a matter of which one it was. Um, I want to say that Zach Wheeler got one of them. He did not. Really? See, yes. That's the thing. Cause 30 Wheeler, seconds Max, left. Wheeler, Steven Matz, Harvey. Um, did R.A. Dickey get one? He did not. Really? God. 15 seconds left, at least not in 2014. Did Matt he Harvey got, get one? He did. So okay. you need the other two. You got 10 seconds left. All right. Um, shoot. One of them is probably going to be random as can be. Yeah. Um, one of I, I'll go. Go one, ahead. The last guess. I'll go Steven Matz. Mm-mm. No. Okay. So the one I thought that you maybe get was Bartolo in 2015. He did. See, that's what I'm saying. Like the, for all the guys they've had, it's just a matter of like how the, how they wanted to shape up the beginning of their season, you know? Right. And then the tough one, 2014, Dylan G. Uh, see, I, that one actually doesn't surprise me because I, I knew there was one in there that was um, somewhere along the line recently. And I guess that was the year that they had an injury right before and he had to step up. I just couldn't remember who it was that stepped up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. During that era, Harvey, Wheeler, Max, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Cologne, yeah. um, all these guys, it's just a matter of how they slotted in. They've good had question. some good ones. All right. Um, I'm not going to ask you to give me all or nothing. Probably should because you might run through this one. But you know what? We've both kind of been slumping on trivia lately. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping this is a layup that you can get. Baseball opening day. That means I'll miss it. Give me, <laughs> I want you to give me uh, six of the eight starters for the Orioles last year. I'm discounting Tommy Malone because you obviously know that one because you made that part of Scott's trivia question. So just give me six of the eight position players for the O's opening day last year. Position players. Yes. Okay, opening day. Let's see. Uh, we have Rio Ruiz was third base. Correct. Santander was in the outfield. Right field. Austin Hayes was in the outfield. Center field. Chris Davis, I believe, was at first. First base with a negative war. <laughs> God bless him. Um, man, second base and shortstop and catcher. Caleb Joseph wasn't the catcher, I don't believe. Was it Severino? Severino was the catcher. Wow, he was the catcher. Yeah, one more okay. and you're good. Yeah, oh, man. Oh, was it Glacier shortstop? I think he was. Jose Iglesias was shortstop. There yeah. you go. No strikes. Yeah, the second base and left fielder. Um, was Mullins in left? Uh, left field was DJ Stewart. Stewart, okay. Yeah. Second base was – Villar wasn't on the team last year. Um, Pat Valleca didn't start. Um, who was the second baseman? Can't think of him. Who was the second baseman? Uh, the second baseman was Hanser Alberto. And then you had Renato Nunez. Of course. Renato Nunez at DH. 
Yeah, Alberto, of course. That was well, I'm glad I got it. Alberto got I should have got. Yeah. He's not I, really, I, I was shocked that he didn't make the team this year. He was great yeah, last year, yeah. but well, we know that opening day was the trivia for this week. We know what it's gonna be for next week with guest Steve Sands, mm. a trivia question about the Masters. So start cooking that up. Yes, uh, indeed. I, I have an idea, I think, of where I want to go for trivia for next week. I also have an idea of where I want to go with my master's best bet. And that is something that we will have next week. Ooh, ooh. Um, but really excited great to have tease. Steve Sands back. It was great to have Scott Garceau back. Yep. Um, you know, I'm glad we've reached a point where we can have recurring guests that go with their season, especially considering where we started, which was just, hey, nothing's going on right now. You want to come on and talk about random stuff because there's no sports happening? Right. So I'm glad we've been able to, uh, to turn it into this as we close in on episode 50. We still got a little ways to go, but It'll go by quickly. You know that for sure. Already uh, end of March as we're recording this, by the time you're listening to it or watching it on YouTube and seeing my almost Mickey Mouse ear because of the painting here, I'll lean forward and see it again, PJ. <laughs> um, you know, it will, uh, it'll be April 1st and it'll be opening day and we'll have the final four this week. So can't we, wait. We, are, we are really able to enjoy things now. NBA playoffs or playoff push will be starting soon. NHL playoff push starting soon. My bets from the preseason in the NHL are humming right now, and I don't want to talk too much about it to jinx it, but we are looking good on those, and we will update those probably after the Masters because that's going to consume next week. But Mm -hmm. all is good right now. I'm back in Florida. Um, Weather's nice. Work's good. People are a little crazy, but, you know, comes with the territory. That's Florida for Florida, you. Florida man is everywhere. You just, so. you just pretty much summed up Florida. So. Well, thanks again to Scott, and we will see you next time for episode 44.